The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so welcome back from the break. So before I was talking about the part of the qualities of a teacher, if we're going to be our own teacher, what are some of the qualities that uh, we can adopt, espouse, undertake, aspire to, these types of things. But of course, there are only teachers, there's only one condition in which there are teachers, right? There has to be students. If there are no students, there are no teachers. So we could also ask, what is it like to be your own student? What would it mean to be a good student? What are the qualities of somebody who's willing to learn? Perhaps you know people that um, it doesn't matter what you tell them, they have like the same uh, response. Mm-hmm, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Like they, like they don't seem like there's anything that they don't already know. Even if you're telling them about your own experience, like, yeah, like they knew you had that experience. It's, they just have that one like way. So in some ways they're not really teachable. I kind of, oh, that's, this is an expression that I'm kind of using. You know, they, they maybe feel like they already know everything and they're not, don't need to be a student at all. But if we're going to be our own teacher, we need to be a student as well. So I'd like to kind of flesh this out and discuss it, but I'd like you guys to do some of the work. That is, um, to get into some small groups and discuss, what does it mean to be a good student? What would that mean? If you were going to be your teacher, you also have to be your own student. What kind of activities would we do? What kinds of activities would we not do? What uh, things would we say? What things would we not say? What kind of attitudes would we have? What kind of attitudes would we not have? We can think of like going to school. There was, you know, do your homework, show up on time, um, to be a good student. What are some of the other things? Attend the class. Um, I don't know. That's some of the things for uh, school. So what would it be like if we were to be a student of ourselves, our own student, in our meditation practice in particular, and or, you can choose, your spiritual life in general? What would it be like to be your own student? So why don't you get into, you can self-organize into groups of four. I think there'll be one group of five. And I just have this discussion. What, is, what does it mean to be a good student? And you can do this. Um, it can be helpful for one person to speak at a time. And please do not give advice to each other. Right? We're not like students of each other. But instead, share some ideas that you have. So get started.
Okay, so now I'd love to hear from you all. What does it take to be a good student? What What did you learn? What kind of insights, ideas did you have? If you're going to be your own student, a student of yourself. Some of you are smiling. This is a good sign. Um, a lot of things came up, and I, I started reflecting on as a child, because um, those that was where I first learned to be a student. And I think the main things that came out of the discussion in my group was that there was an organization uh, that I put on myself, and also an acceptance that it's not easy. Learning is difficult, and there is some aversion to it because it's change. Um, so it, just knowing that and going into it with that, that this will be hard, and at the end, good things come out of it. Nice, nice. Thank you. You know, I should be asking people to say their names. Can you say Oh, your... I'm Kathleen. Kathleen. Thank you, Kathleen. So if the teacher... Can you say your name? Oh, um, yes, I can. Um, So it's Beatrice. So if the teacher is there, who's me, and it's uh, for it to be beneficial, one has to listen, which means um, to hear the, the little quiet, tiny voices that are speaking wonderful, um, beneficial things, um, and to believe, um, have, have trust in the information or whatever that I'm getting, and to remember that information is true, even if it turns out you know, something else is more relevant or more true later, right now that's the best information I have, which is incredible, wonderful information. And to protect it, that, you know, there may be someone who says, oh, you don't know, or that's not true, or, you know, um, or saying it to myself. um, But that that is, that's that's good, that's good, wise information. Mm. Nice. Thank you, Beatrice. This importance of saying, okay, this is true right now. That doesn't mean that later I won't discover there's something else that's more true, quote-unquote, but to recognize that we have wisdom. Yeah. Thank you, Beatrice. My name is Sylvie, and um, I really enjoyed this exercise in the group and how we fed into, we fed 
on one another's question and how rich it became. Um, I do think from my own experiences that um, where the most striking is uh, be willing to be changed and driven to understand. Mm. Thank you, Sylvia. Um, uh, I guess I'm smiling because it was... Mary, oh, I'm sorry. Name? Uh, my name's Mary. And um, in, our, in our group, uh, it was just uh, so apparent that every one of us really, really believe in lifelong learning because it was like being curious, being making it a part of your day, exploring different things. It was just like... Yeah, I'm. I'm really a proponent of lifelong learning, and and just to hear, um, to be affirmed that that um, how I'm applying myself to be learning this information is um, really great. <laughs> you know, it's just like I don't know. It was just. It was just very. Um, heartwarming to hear the sincerity and the the way different people apply themselves to to learning something new and to, to be open to okay this is hard this is hard but i'm going to incorporate it in my day and it was just very um uh, what do I want to say? Inspiring. Hmm, very nice. inspiring. Inspiring. So, yeah, I was very thankful for this group. Hmm. Great. Thank you, Mary. Anybody else to comment? Like this half of the room? Did, did anything good happen over here? My name is uh, Felipe. The, having a teacher is an issue for me. For, uh, authorities is not something that I'm really fond of. So having been myself the teacher was kind of a, a new thing. So we discussed about checking on the teacher from time to time to, to see if he's listening, if he, the student is learning really or maybe he needs to change the way he's teaching. <laughs> and uh, we also talked about that the objective of the whole thing is to learn. So it's, the obj- it's what needs to be learned, not to... Again, it's weird because it's the same teacher, it's the same person, but it's what we want to learn, the, the final objective, not to have this, oh, I have a teacher that I can follow now everywhere, whatever he says, I have to follow. So those two things I remember. Mm, great. Thank you, Felipe. Anybody else? Yeah. <coughs> uh, I'm Raghu. Um, we talked about a number of points, uh, including uh, treating it like play, being curious, um, asking questions, being able to observe and learn. Mm, nice. 
Thank you. Treating it like play. Yeah. Um, my name is Carla, uh, and it's interesting to hear what Felipe says, said because one of the things that I feel a good student does um, is to try. When you listen to some teaching, you don't really learn until you try and absorb that, even when it's uncomfortable. Even when, and I tried this so hard, you know, even when what the, what the teaching tells me or the teacher tells me it's something that I don't want to do and doesn't make sense in my mind, uh, I think it's important to still try. And that's what I, I'm, I'm trying to do every day, you know. I, I hear the teachings. I don't want to do it. You know, when come, anger comes up, I want to think, I don't want you. Go away. But I'm like, okay, no. Let's try it the way they are telling me that might be beneficial. So I find that's interesting. Mm. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Carla. Right behind you. Hi, I'm Martha. Um, this didn't actually come to mind in our group, but it came to mind listening to the others. So I'm a teacher, so I think a lot about what makes for good students. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I think I get most excited about is when I have a student who's not too attached to the outcome. So they're just in that class that day enjoying it and learning and not attached to what is this going to produce in, you know, in my life. And I, and I thought, oh, so often in meditation I'm attached to the outcome. <laughs> but to really learn, I need to be willing to let go of that a little bit and just focus on the process. Yeah, yeah, great. Thank you, Martha. Yeah, I think uh, my name is Andre, and I think, I don't think my name is Andre, my name is Andre. <laughs> and, uh, pretty sure, you're pretty yeah. sure about that? And uh, I think, similar to what um, Carla was touching on, I think, about going to that uncomfortable place, I think being a good student requires a lot of courage, mm. I think, because really, for me, this is about being a student of suffering, and for me, it's about turning off and directly towards the very thing I don't want to turn towards. And this practice has taught me that there's real value in turning towards that. But even though there's part of me sometimes, one voice that understands the value, there's a whole host of other voices that scream and oppose. And... Um, yeah, so there's a lot of that turning towards that very felt sense of fear takes a lot of courage and practice. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you, Andre. My name is Delia, and um, we went around the circle many times with so many possibilities and it just opened up my mind and heart. The last one that I said, and I was going to explain it on the next time around, which didn't come because it was the end of the, was to learn from the other students. And if I'm the student and I'm the teacher, I what I meant by that was the other students 
are the many different voices within me as a student. And some are conflicted with other voices, but to learn from all of them. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Delia. Any, any more? Any last comments? I mean, you're looking at me like you. Uh, <laughs> do you feel like you have something to add? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Beatrice still. Um. <laughs> we'll, we'll change names later. But you know, so. <laughs> um, now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, the. The um, the learning is for the benefit of the student, not the teacher. So the I'm thinking of you know as kids were trained to you know you do well in school you know do the right answers on the test or um, it's, you know say the right answer in class because you're trying to get the good grade and you get the grade from the teacher so you have to please the teacher and. Um, so, but the, the, you're not getting grades anymore, and if you're going to get one, we all get A plus plus. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry. Um, um, so there's there aren't any tests anymore. So um, it's to I'm not trying to do what's best for the teacher. It's the it's I want to do what's best for this student. Yeah, yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, so one last comment. You want stereo? Thank you. <laughs> no. I'm Jen, um, like Jennifer. And I just wanted to say most of the things that our group talked about have been already brought up. Um, but I have a lot of appreciation for the just amazing meat stuff that came up in our group and I wanted to say um, to you Beatrice uh, I'm a teacher and one of the things I always tell my students is your grade has nothing to do with me it's I'm a mirror that reflects kind of how much work you did to prepare for this test or this whatever so I, I really resonated with what you were saying because I think um, sort of for us that this process of being a student, we're going to kind of get what we put in a little bit, and that sometimes I lose sight of that in my own practice sometimes, that I feel frustrated, or if I have, you know, a day with more doubt, that I I sort of, I think about the teachings or the practice rather than sort of where I'm at in my own practicing. So. Yeah, great. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, so... Let's just take just a moment, just to check in with kind of the feeling, the vibe, the general tone of this discussion of being a student. For some of us, it reminds us of when we were young and life was different, maybe simpler. And there a, was a sense of, I can hear it in the way that you guys are responding, the sense of possibility, 
a sense of maybe engagement, curiosity, a sense of let's see how this is going to unfold. Um, There's often a sense of delight when we learn something new. So it's kind of an energetic and a little kind of an openness. So as best we can, as best we can, can we remember this or kind of like tap into this to be a student? Can we bring this sense of curiosity, engagement, a little bit of excitement, dare I say, um, appreciation into our practice? I know that practice isn't always easy. I know that there's lots of times we don't want to meditate or we don't want to do whatever our practice is, walking meditation, whatever it might be. But it can be helpful to remember that we can adopt different attitudes. And so this attitude of being a student can be one that can support us, can be one that maybe can we can tap into from time and again, time every now and then. As opposed to earlier, I talked about that self-critical voice, right? That's there too. And I didn't have the feeling of openness and energy and curiosity. And, oh, wow, let's see what's going to happen, right? That was this kind of contraction and pressure. So part of our work and part of being one's own teacher is to recognize that there are different attitudes. There's different uh, perspectives. There's different ways that we can show up. And as best we can, can we choose a way in which is supportive and that is helpful and that is onward leading as opposed to um, constricting and uh, getting stuck. Now, I say this knowing it's not easy. We can't always just change our perspective. We find ourselves getting stuck in things. But... We can practice with this. Part of it is loving-kindness practice and part of it is mindfulness practice. That is, when we're discovering some difficulties, the self-critical voice is really loud, for example, or other difficulties, but I'll stick with that one for now, is can we bring some awareness to that? Can we bring some our attentiveness to have a little bit of care and warmth to it. That is, can there be a little bit of this maybe affectionate curiosity? Oh, here's that voice that's telling me that I can't do it or that I should be doing this and it's that I uh, am inadequate. Can we, as best we can, as best we can, I'll say it a third time, as best we can bring an affectionate curiosity to this self-critical voice. What is it like? Can we have this quality of befriending it? So that means that when it arises, when we notice that it's there, that we aren't immediately shoving it away, go away. I hate you. Get out of here. You're ruining my life. Go away. Get out of here. I hate you. Right? 
Instead, can there be like, oh, okay, you're here again. Hello. We don't have to immediately try to love this. That's a a tall order. We can get there. But somehow can we just allow it to be there without this aversion towards aversion? Self-critical voice is a type of aversion. So can there not just add more on top of it? I know it's kind of the knee-jerk reaction often. Our our, um, immediate response is wanting to shove it away when we find things that are so difficult and might be overwhelming and frightening or whatever it might be with it. It's unpleasant. It might even be tormenting. And we just certainly, the last thing we want is to be experiencing that. As best we can, can we have an affectionate curiosity? Okay. Here it is. This inner critic. They were talking about this and here it is showing up. And then, the first is to maybe, as best we can, as Andre is talking about, turn towards it with some, uh, with some warmth. I'm saying adding a little bit of extra warmth as best we can with some care, with some affection, and then to give it some space. To give it, not only to allow it to be there, but to give it a little bit of space. Some spaciousness around this kind of inner movement, this inner dynamic of thinking that shits were inadequate and not doing it enough. So what does that mean, to give it some space? It means a few things. One is, can we, often when there's something that's difficult or challenging, somehow often kind of like our awareness collapses around it. And that becomes like the, just our predominant experience. We stop becoming aware of everything else. We just kind of, uh, either our awareness gets really small and is around the difficulty, the uncomfortableness, that voice that's telling us or yelling at us. So, as best we can, I'll say it again, as best we can, can we open up the awareness just a little bit to notice that there are other things happening at the exact same time. There's other things happening, not just this. The other things that are happening, bodily experiences can feel the pressure of the chair against the, or the cushion against the body. We can hear sounds. So as best we can to kind of give space, which means kind of to include other things into our awareness. And then as an instruction that is often an instruction in uh, mindfulness is to feel the uncomfortableness in the body. And then maybe, as best we can, have some affectionate curiosity for that too. Like, okay, I'm filled with anger, I'm filled with fear, I'm filled with self-condemnation. Where do I feel that? Sometimes it's a tightness in the throat. It might be like a collapsing around the heart center in the chest. It might be a, a tightening in the belly. 
And if you can, maybe think like, okay, maybe I can be a student of this. And you can bring in some of this idea, what is it like to be a student? There's so many fantastic, great ideas that you guys all uh, brought up. Be willing to learn, to just show up, to think that it's for the benefit of the student. It's not because the teacher is making you do it or necessarily. It takes some courage. Can we be a student of the bodily sensations that are associated with the inner critic? And this can be a way forward. This can be a way that's onward leading. Instead of getting stuck in that uh, feeling like, oh, I'm inadequate in some other way. So to bring an attitude of the student, and maybe to add a sprinkle on, as best we can, some tenderness. Sprinkle on some compassion. Sprinkle on some holding, some caring. Around the hurt. So the hurt and the pain and the difficulties probably still there. But can we have around it some of this warmth and care, compassion? This, this idea of being a student. And then when we're not collapsed into with this inner self-critical voice, but instead we can add a little bit more space. And in that little more space, there can be awareness of the body, awareness of sounds, and an attitudes of warmth and care. And what is, can I be a student? What can I learn from this? What can I, this experience is actually happening this moment. So, is there something for me to, to teach me here? So this can be a way in which we can, uh, even our most difficult experiences can be our teachers and we can be students. Even this critical voice that often shows up. But it's not, it's some of the... Um, Sometimes we've been, it's a habit, it's so familiar, we've been conditioned to have these ideas of sometimes things are difficult, and it leads to being uncomfortable. But there's other things to learn too. So maybe I'll um, give a... um, there's a little teaching that's uh, from the suttas, from the uh, Buddhist teachings. So I'll read this um, little bit about out loud. At one time, the Buddha was staying near Kusambi in a rosewood forest. Then the Buddha picked up a few rosewood leaves in his hand and he addressed the practitioners. What do you think? Which is more? These few leaves in my hand? Or all the leaves in the tree in this grove here? 
And it's not a trick question. So the practitioners there said, Venerable Sir, the few leaves in your hand are a tiny amount. There are far more leaves in the tree, in the grove here. And the Buddha says, in the same way, there is much more that I have understood but have not explained to you. What I have explained is a tiny amount. And why haven't I explained all the others? Why haven't I taught everything else? Because it's not beneficial or relevant to the fundamentals of the spiritual life. I haven't taught it because it doesn't lead to disillusionment. It doesn't lead to peace. It doesn't lead to insight. It doesn't lead to awakening. That's why I haven't explained it. And what have I explained? I've explained this is suffering. This is the arising of suffering. You can also translate it as this is the origin of suffering. This is the ending of suffering. And this is the way to the ending of suffering. And why have I taught this? Because it is beneficial. Because it's relevant to the fundamentals of the spiritual life. Because it leads to disillusionment, to peace, to insight, to awakening. And that's why I have taught it. So in this uh, sutta here, the Buddha is pointing to what are the most important teachings? And it's something that we already know. We've already been talking about it. We've already been exploring it. This idea that there's suffering and there's the end of suffering. And there's so many um, things that we can get tripped up on that don't have um, good answers or can't be verified or verifiable or that don't support this if we want to find the end of suffering if we want to find peace well-being freedom awakening we can use this as a frame what is suffering and what is not suffering so there's a, another sutta in which the Buddha gives a little bit more guidance about this. And this is the Kalama Sutta. But I'm not going to read the part that is the most familiar. You may be familiar with this part too, but I'm going to just read this uh, little excerpt here. If Kalama Sutta is well known. Not everybody knows it. There's no, it's perfectly fine if you've heard of it before or if you haven't. And the setting is, is that Buddha goes to talk to the, um, this group of individuals, we call them the Kalamas, that were, uh, lived in a particular place. And there had been a lot of spiritual teachers that were coming through town and saying, you know, my teachings are the best and I teach X. And then the next teacher comes by and says, I, my teachings are the best, and I teach Y. I don't know what's going on with X over there. 
And then, you know, of course, another teacher shows up and says, you know, my teachings are the best, and I teach Z. Not X, and not Y, but Z. So then the Buddha shows up, and they say to him, well, you know, all these teachers are coming by and teaching these different things, and what we're essentially, we're perplexed by this. How do we, how do we know who to believe, what to do? And in his response, the Buddha emphasized what we can know and experience for ourselves. He emphasized what, we, what is, is verifiable, what we can test, what we can experience. He didn't completely dismiss everything else, but there's a real emphasis on what can we know. The path to freedom, the path to awakening, the path to peace, the path to ease, it begins and ends with our basic ability to recognize when we are suffering and when we are not. To understand suffering, to understand, I'm using suffering to mean this word, just difficulties, um, stress, dissatisfaction, uncomfortableness. So there's a big range, a big magnitude. It can be things that are really awful and terrible and things that are just mildly annoying. So with the, he encourages the, uh, the Kalamas to use the experience of what brings suffering and what brings happiness as the basis for learning what to do, what to follow, what practices to do. And he asks um, the practitioners to consider what is suffering and what brings happiness, not only their own experience, but also with the help of wise people. Not only what we are, think is, uh, um, is difficult, we often we know this, but sometimes it's not so clear what is the source of happiness, what can bring some well-being, what can bring some ease. So we use the help of wise people so that we don't um, only fall into the trap of following our preferences all the time or doing what's easiest. But we can imagine what would a wise person do? What would a, somebody who has experience with this do? We may know such a wise person or we might know of a wise person. So which activities we should do, which mental qualities to develop. So it doesn't require an exhaustive analysis to know, okay, what does what leads to suffering and what leads to happiness. I'm using these two as big, broad brush terms, suffering and non-suffering, happiness and non-happiness. We don't have to have an exhaustive analysis, but it does require that we pay attention, that we are a student of the consequences of what our actions are. Not only what we are physically doing in the world, but the consequences of what we're doing with our mind, 
Are we cultivating a sense of, okay, I'm going to see what I can learn from this. Are we cultivating a sense of curiosity, a sense of um, engagement, of recognition, like, okay, this might be a little bit of work, but maybe this might be helpful. Are we cultivating a sense of loving kindness? Are we cultivating a sense of warmth and care? Or are we cultivating some aversion and pushing away or just chasing after after pleasant experiences? So just to pay attention to what are the consequences. And we have to use our reasoning. We have to use our imagination. Including what we imagine a wise person might do or how a wise person might behave in this scenario or what we're doing right now. And so this idea of taking the view of the, I'm using this word wise, it's not any different than what we would do if we were learning anything new. We wanted to learn to knit, we would ask somebody who knows how to knit. It's incredible today what's on YouTube, right? You can learn anything. There's all these people who are happy to tell you. I had to change the battery in the key fob for my car. I was like so happy. There's you know this little three minute video here, do this, do that, buy this type of video, this this, you know, battery. Like, oh, okay. I feel like I can do that. So why is why we do this all the time to just see you know what somebody who has a some little bit more experience to help kind of guide us in what to do. So the instructions are to pay attention what causes suffering, what causes happiness, and to use our own experience to help us make that decision to kind of do that sorting and to use what wise, what we imagine wise people will tell us, uh, somebody who has more experience would tell us, as well as maybe we even ask people who are more experienced or we look for YouTube videos, you know, whatever the equivalent of that might be. So in that way, we allow ourselves to be a teacher our own experiences and the consequences of our experiences. And we allow others, we allow ourselves to be influenced by others so that we don't just follow our preferences. That's easy to do. Of course it's easy to do. Of course we want to be comfortable and not come up against the edges of our comfort. But part of being your own teacher is even noticing that. It's noticing when we are just following our preferences. So this idea of keeping in mind what a, somebody who has more experience might help with that tendency we all have. So it's... Maybe I'll open it up if there's any comments or questions. Yes, I think... That, can we send a microphone back there?
My name is Ross, and um, you know, just thinking about what what would a wise person do, as opposed to all those wonderful YouTube videos, which have helped me through a lot. Um, <laughs> um, but thinking about what would a wise person do can also set up this self criticism, yeah. like you know. So I I don't know how to work around that, but you know, what would they do? But I can't do this, and so I don't know how you'd get around that. Yeah, that's thank you, Russ. That's so great, right? Of course. Well, they can do it. I can't do it. Oh, it's just, like so it's easy to uh, go into there. So I'm talking about two ways in which we can work with this inner critic. The inner critic is going to arise. If that's our habit, it's going to arise. So a big part of our practice would be, okay, how can we work with this loving-kindness practice? Where it's easy, we start where it's easy. It doesn't have to be towards ourselves. If in the minute we're in that moment, we're beating ourselves up, we can just stay where it's easy. And the second, to bring some mindfulness of this inner critic. Okay, here it is. I've thought of a wise person. They can do it. I can't do it. I can't do anything. I can't. So bring some mindfulness to that. Some affectionate curiosity as best you can including some space as best you can and with some either noticing other things that are happening the sounds and bodily experiences and with an attitude of warmth and compassion yeah so this self-critical voice it'll show up anywhere and everywhere to follow follow up I guess what came to mind too was um, thinking about that wise person. I guess another thing to do is um, question the person, either in you know directly or maybe in your own mind. Yeah. You know, be curious as to yeah. why do I think they're wise or what are they doing that. So I don't know that. Yeah, exactly. Does that sound yeah, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Roz. Okay, it's time for lunch. It's 12.07. But who's counting? It's 12.07. Let's come back at 1.15. We'll do that so a little bit more than an hour. And we'll come back here. For those of you who have been here, we can set up the tables and we can eat together if you've brought your lunch or maybe you could go get something and come back. If you haven't been here before, a lot of people go to Whole Foods, which is just a few blocks away, if you'd like to pick up something and come back. Otherwise, I'll see you at 1.15. Thanks.